we're preaching through the book of Genesis and then we're, we're coming up, we come up after the flood there and we talked about the, uh, the three sons of Noah through which all the, uh, the uh, nations of the world come. And chapter 9, that God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every base of the earth and every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea, and into your hand they are delivered. That's just an interesting point in the Bible. Uh, you go out there and by and large, I mean, you know, yeah, I know a bear could attack you, a lion might attack you, but by and large, they will avoid human beings if they can. A man told me this week he'd killed five copperhead snakes. This past week, and he said, every one of them was going away from me. And, and, and when you go out in the world of nature, you'll find out that the Bible tells you why there's a reason that animals have a genu- basic general uh, fear of man's because God put that in there. Verse, oh, by the way, I'm telling you what, the flowers are so pretty. Amen. And my wife, she just got flowers everywhere. And I sit and I look at them things and I say, how on earth? Does those purple and white and yellow and orange and all the different kinds come out of the same old dirt? I mean, you've got to be an idiot not to believe God exists. Amen? Amen. And the delicate little things are so beautiful. And I just look at that and I just see the glory of God in that so much. But anyway... Every moving thing that liveth, verse 3, shall be meat for you, even as the green herb I have given you all things, but flesh with life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat? And surely your blood, uh, the, surely your blood of your lives will it require at the hand of every beast, will it require it and at the hand of every man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. And we talked about here is the institution of human government established after the flood by, uh, from God to Noah. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And you be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you and all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I'll establish my covenant. And we preached on the rainbow here last week. Now we're going to pick it up. Uh, in verse number, uh, and we talked about Noah being drunk. We preached on nakedness and all that kind of stuff. And we got down to chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 about uh, the, the Canaan situation and how later on they came to the land of Canaan, the Canaanites and the vileness and the wickedness and that curse that came upon uh, Ham's descendants because of what he'd done. And then the chapter finishes up. And uh, Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years. You never hear anything more about Noah's life after this uh, situation that occurred there, after his drunkenness. Chapter 10, now all the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were, born, son, were sons born after the flood. Now God's going to go through here, and he's going to give you the descendants of all these different people, of, of Jephthah and Ham and Shem in chapter 10. And I kind of wished I had the board up, but just kind of visualize your mind. When you get into chapter number six, he's going to give you the descendants of Ham. Now keep this in mind. This is the man who came to us, walked in there when his father was drunk and naked, evidently did something uh, inappropriate. His brothers carried the cloth, uh, the covering backward, laid it on their father. And he was cursed, and his, or Canaan was cursed. Now watch verse number six. And the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, and Foot, and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, and Sebta, and Rama, and Sebtatek, and the sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. And Cush, who is back up there in verse number six, one of the sons of Ham, okay, uh, uh, there, begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Three times there, uh, the word mighty is used. Now watch this in verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom. He was a king. And the beginning of the kingdom was Babel. And it's where we get the Babylonian situation, okay? The t- and we're going to move into the Tower of Babel. And Erek and Akkad and, and Kalna and the land of Shinar. And we know where that's at. And so uh, we're going to go on down into verse number 19. I want you to watch this. And the border of the Canaanites, who are the descendants of Ham, was from Sidon as thou comest to Gerar unto Gaza. Now Gaza, if you look on a map today, how many heard the Gaza Strip in the news? It's over against the Mediterranean Sea. It's a little strip of land there on the south end of Israel there. And, uh, as, and it's given, so it's given direction. As thou goest unto Sodom and Gomorrah. So what do you get a picture here of? Ham... His descendants moved into this, what we might call the Mideast area. 
And all of their descendants are messed up. Nimrod's a descendant. Sodom and Gomorrah, the whole deal. And degradation and vileness and immorality and wickedness and a curse was upon these family units. It's just a sad situation. And, uh, but you see there, they're dealing there now, when you get in verse number 21, you see Shem. Shem is the descendants of the, uh, of the Abraham is where you get your Israeli people from. Okay. And, uh, so we're going to go into chapter 11 now. And so you have this background. Now look at verse 32 in chapter 10 before you go. And I kind of wish we had a little more time to talk about this, but from here's where the whole earth was populated. These three sons of, um, of, uh, Noah. But the earth, and the earth, verse 1 of chapter 11, was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass that they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have all one language. This they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. And then God said in verse 7, Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Now there's a contrast here in the book of Acts where all these people came, 19 different language groups, and they all began to speak in language wherein they were born and they could hear the gospel and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here God confounds their language. Verse number 8, So the Lord scattered them from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. We'll stop there tonight, and what I want to do here, when, when I read through this, I'm reminded that in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there are many foreshadows of a personage in the Bible known as the Antichrist. And um, when you go back to Genesis chapter 3, and it talks about the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, you have the beginning of what I call the trail of the wicked one. You have these two seed lineages going. You have the lineage of Christ and you have the lineage and the seed of, of Satan. One of them is the Messiah comes out, the seed of Christ comes out, Jesus Christ. And the other is going to come out, the Antichrist. Satan's whole game has been to try to dethrone God. He said, I will be like the Most High. That's been his goal. He wanted to overtake God and, and control the world. And very evil, very wicked. Now there's two seeds and two trails. Jesus called some people children of the devil. Now, as I said before, just as there are several men who are Old Testament types of foreshadows of Jesus Christ, such as Adam, such as Joseph, Moses, David, Abraham, a lot of those men are foreshadows of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are foreshadows of the Antichrist. I'm going to list several of them for you, and we'll go through it. Number one, I just want to mention here is Nimrod. And this is one of the reasons I bring this out is because Nimrod is the first person who orchestrated and built a one world global economic and religious system. Everything in the New Testament has already been pre-shadowed in the Old Testament. Nimrod is a type of the, of the Antichrist in that he was going to usurp the authority and power of God over him. Somebody says, Reggie, why did they want to build that tower up to heaven? So, so God couldn't destroy him with a flood. That tells you two or three things about it. Number one, they didn't believe the rainbow covenant. They didn't believe God's promises. And they still had a rebellious heart against Almighty God. And they did not want to be under his authority and under his control. And they did not want to serve him. So they're going to build this tower and it's going to build it up to heaven. So why? Floodwaters, they can get above. See, God can't get us. That's a deep attitude of people. God ain't going to get me. That's the whole idea of unbelief. You're here sitting here tonight. You're not saved. You know what your problem is? You're a rebel against Almighty God. I'm going to tell you something. You ain't going to win. You're going to lose. And you're, I'll tell you, you're either on the side of Christ or on the side of Satan. Ain't no in-between. You're not doing your own thing. You're either a child of the devil or a child of God. You're either on the Lord's side or you're against God. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. So there's no neutrality here. These people had an attitude toward God. This is what the Antichrist will have. An attitude in the Antichrist will do what Nimrod done. He will have, and by the way, we're moving toward that so fast right now. 
And this is one of the reasons it interests because we're moving to a global governance. United Nations, when you go back, and by the way, God doesn't move in usually day to, you know, just a day or two. God works over generational periods. Yeah. And so there's several things. When you see Israel coming back into the land in the late 1800s, and then you see World War I and this League of Nations, and we voted that down the first time. Woodrow Wilson was president, and we didn't want that. Our people in America knew they didn't want it because they did not want a one-world system. We were so biblical-minded, we rejected that in our Senate. <clears throat> World War II comes, and we start breaking down the biblical subculture of our, of our people, and we, we are the ones who hyped up the United Nations. United Nations is a very dangerous, dangerous organization. If you study what they're doing every week, you watch what they're doing, what they're introducing, it's the most ungodly, wicked, nasty, filthy, vile. They're, they're supporters of everything the Bible says not to be. They, and they hate Jesus Christ. Yeah. And uh, so what we're seeing is, is this gradual movement toward a one world system. And the Antichrist will do what Nim- Nimrod tried to do there, establish a worldwide global government with the economic and religious control of everyone. One of the things you're seeing right now, and I, I'm going to say something to make you mad tonight. i tell you what, uh, if you're a Democrat, you ought to get saved. Amen. I don't see how you be a Democrat and be a Christian. Amen. They're against everything that's biblical and they're supporting and promoting every nasty, filthy thing going in. And the Republicans ain't very far behind them. But at least there's some in there that's still trying to hold the line, okay? And I realize that we have to work through some kind of a system. But my goodness, it's a lot. But what you see is right now I'm pushing, being hard pushed. This week, a Senate hearing on the First Amendment and on the, on the uh, suppression of free speech by the social media. And what, and, and what you're seeing is the Democrat Party right now is in a full, full force attack to get rid of the First Amendment. They literally this week, one of the highest well-known big shot professors in American educational systems told Congress that he believed with all of his heart that we need to get rid of the First Amendment. That gets rid of free speech. That means you can't preach the gospel. It's the freedom of religion. So what are they doing? They're causing people. What's this whole thing about being woke and council culture? Council culture is an attack upon the First Amendment. Your forefathers knew that Jesus Christ said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. What is it all about? It's to stop the word of God and the freedom and ability to preach the word of God. And by the way, you know something? I'm for free speech. I may not agree with what you say, but I'll, I'll fight to support your right to say that. Okay. But what you're seeing is, is a huge suppression. By the way, this happened in the last election. Google is owned by, uh, uh, Lord help me not to get off on too big a rabbit trail. I'm not a conspiracy guy, but let me just tell you, the guy that owns Google, you ought to search him out a little bit. You ought to Google him a little bit. He's, he may be the richest man in the, in the world right now. But can you imagine, the guy, but this, these guys want to control what you see, what you can say, how you can say it. That's their whole game and goal. And they want to suppress that. And so, it, and, but what we're doing is gradually moving. Now, you're talking about, talks about tracking. Uh, that we're moving to a cashless society. And that's part of the Antichrist. We're moving to uh, 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 identification, location, where you're at. There'll be cars, the cars in the future that will be tagged. They'll know where your car's at all the time. They'll know how fast your car's going. They won't have to have a highway patrol out there necessarily with radar checking you. They're going to know how fast your car's going. And, and they're going to be able, they'll be able to shut you down in the middle of the highway. They just shut you off and your car will just coast to a stop. And you're seeing all this stuff come up and, and come forth. Anyway, it, Nimrod's a picture of that. Cain is a picture of the Antichrist by his murder of the chosen seed. Herod, all down through there, tried to kill the chosen seed. Satan always tried to kill the chosen seed of the Lord Jesus Christ and pervert the appointed way of worship. Pharaoh is another type of the Antichrist in that his oppression of Israel, the Antichrist will oppress Israel. Korah, his rebellion against Moses and Moses' authority of God, he, he opposed that. He's a type of the Antichrist. I don't have time to stop and go through all these men's lives and what they did, but it's a fact what I'm telling you. Balaam, his attempt to curse Israel, he's a picture. All of them together make a composite of the Antichrist, who he is and what he'll be doing. Saul, was a picture of the Antichrist by his intrusion into the office of the priest. The Antichrist will go into the Holy of Holies and set himself upon the throne of God and make himself as God. Goliath 
was a profound type of the Antichrist it, by his pride and his arrogance. And by the way, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, Goliath was six cubits high. He had six pieces of armor and weaponry, and he had a spearhead that weighed 600 shekels. Goliath was a 666. He is a picture of the Antichrist who will come against God's people and challenge them. And the Lord Jesus Christ will be the David who comes and conquers him. But anyway, then you got Absalom. Absalom is a type of the Antichrist in his attempt to steal the throne of David. Jeroboam is a type of Antichrist in the Old Testament by his substitute religion. The Antichrist will have a substitute religion. And by the way, people will, by and large, be persuaded to that religion of worship of the Antichrist. Or if they don't, they will die. Now, you won't have a choice back then. There won't be no altar call and and make a decision for Jesus. You're going to make a decision, all right, one way or the other. And then Sennacherib is a type of the Antichrist by uh, his surrounding and attempt to destroy the city of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible is a picture of the Antichrist by his golden statue that he made. Let me just say that's in Daniel chapter 3 and he made an image of gold and the Antichrist is connected in the book of Revelation to the image of the beast. The height of that that, uh, image that Nebuchadnezzar made was three score cubits. He had uh, Six musical instruments, and the breadth of him was six cubits. He was a six, six, six. Nebuchadnezzar's image. Daniel is a big book on a study and a prefigure and shadow of the Antichrist. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar forced him to bow on penalty of the fiery furnace. That will be what goes on during the tribulation period. You will be forced to bow and to worship the Antichrist. And the the first get-go will be that you can't buy nor sell unless you worship the beast, the Antichrist. That'll be the first thing to force you into a worship of him. And then you've got Haman in the book of Esther is a massive type of the Antichrist. Haman has a plot to exterminate the Jewish people. And that's what the Antichrist is going to be. Hitler was just a a, a warm-up session. All right? And so Haman tried to exterminate the Jews. Now, I'm going to give you the 13th one. And and it's always bothered me, the last one, but the number 13 is the number of rebellion. In the book of Revelation, the, the beast, the Antichrist, is more talked about him in the 13th chapter of Revelation than any other chapter in the Bible. It's in the 18th verse of the, by the 13th number of rebellion. It's in the 18th verse of the 13th chapter that the number of the Antichrist is given. 18 divided by three is three times six, 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 six. It even tells you that there. So the number of six is the number of man in your biblical numerics. And and the number of the Antichrist is, of course, six, six, six. But there's something interesting about Solomon. I'll uh, tell you what to do. Don't put it up because I've got too much time. But in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14, if you want to check it out when you get home, look it up. Solomon pulled in to his throne 666 talents of gold. Very number of the Antichrist. Solomon had six steps to his throne. Solomon had 12 uh, lions, six on each side. So when you look at Solomon's throne, you're seeing six, six, six. You're seeing it double six, 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 in fact, because he had 666 talents of gold. Then he had six steps and 12 lions, which is 18, which made it six, six, six. There's something wild about Solomon. A lot of people look at Solomon as a picture of the prophetic picture of the millennial reign. And there may be a type in there about that. There probably is. But I'm going to tell you something. You won't hardly ever hear about Solomon being a picture of the Antichrist, but it's there. It's not an accident. The Bible did not record those things for nothing. And let me say something to you about Solomon. It was a time of extreme prosperity. And silver and gold was in the streets like gravel. When you read Revelation chapter 6, when the tribulation period starts, 
you read that the Antichrist brings, ushers in a time of prosperity, probably unlike the world has seen. That's one of the reasons people's going to get behind him is because he's going to make the, the oil and so forth run like rivers. It's going to make people, they're going to say, man, this guy brings us a good economy. So when the Bible speaks of Antichrist, it speaks of it in two senses. First of all, there's a general term in which Satan's work in opposing Jesus Christ and resisting the preaching of the gospel and the work of the gospel and their opposition to the truth and particularly dealing with the deity of Jesus Christ. Because this is where Satan attacks. Satan does not want people to know that Jesus Christ is God. All right. In 1 John chapter 2, put up 1 John chapter 2, guys, if you don't care. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 18. Now, what I'm saying here is, first of all, there is a person, the Antichrist, but there is a spirit of the Antichrist that's already at work in this world. In fact, God says there are many Antichrists. Now, the Antichrist's main focus, if we'll read your little children's the last time, as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists where we know this the last time. They went out from us, they were not of us, for they had been of us and that would continue with us. They went out that it might be made manifest and all, all, all of us. I don't know how many of you know this. Joseph Smith of the Mormons was a, at one time a Methodist involved in the Methodist church. All your cults usually came out, they went out. Their problem became they would not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Mormons do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Muslims do not believe in the deity. And you say, what are you talking about? There are many antichrists. This is the spirit of antichrist that's already in the world. But beyond that, there is going to be a personification, a man who is going to be Satan in the flesh, Satan incarnate, and antichrist. And this antichrist spirit, which denies the deity of Christ, will receive him as deity. They'll have it backwards. There'll be a man come on the scene as an imitation of Jesus Christ. He will seek the throne of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ, the worship that's due Jesus Christ, the glory that's due Jesus Christ, and the government that's due of Jesus Christ, that rightly belongs to Christ. He is called, and if you just want to write these rivers down, the Antichrist is called the little horn in Daniel 7 and 8. He is called the king of fierce countenance in Daniel chapter 8. He is called the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. He is called the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He is called that wicked, capital W, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 2 and, th- and verse number 3, 8. Now, when it says the son of perdition, that's an interesting phrase. We all know the perdition is talking about uh, hell, uh, 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 you know, it's a, the place of punishment of the wicked. There's only two people in the Bible God calls, calls son of perdition. That was Judas and the Antichrist, the beast. The Bible says something about the beast. And there's so much, I won't get a lot of stuff covered tonight. Don't have time. This subject is, is it takes a long time. But the Bible says about him that he was, is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. Judas is called the son of perdition. I think it's a very possible fact that Judas Iscariot will be the resurrected uh, 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 embodiment of Satan in the flesh. By the way, when Satan started to portray Jesus, when Judas started to portray Jesus Christ, does anybody know what happened? Satan entered into him. And uh, it's very, and I'm not saying conclusively on that. Let me say, I'm not a prophecy preacher. The Bible has prophecy. I'm supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. And I have satisfied myself as to the general structure of, a, of, a, of, of last times, events, and so forth, and all that surrounds that. But I don't call myself some big prophecy preacher. In 1 John 2.18, of course, it describes as Antichrist. In Revelation 13, he is called the beast. Now, he's referred to by Christ in John 5.43 when he says, he says, I come, you reject me, but he said one comes in his name, you'll receive him. He's talking about the counterfeit Antichrist and he'll deceive if it were, the Bible said that he will deceive if it were possible, even the very elect. Now you tell, I'm going to tell you something right now. There are people all over this globe that right now reject Jesus Christ, but they will believe the Antichrist is Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, the only way that a person will avoid that is knowing the Bible. That's the only way you'll know the difference. People will literally believe that this Antichrist, this Satan incarnate in the flesh is Christ the Messiah, and they'll believe that. Now I'm going to give you some contrast between Christ and the Antichrist. 
Number one, Christ comes from above, John 6, 38. The Antichrist comes from out of the pit, Revelation 11, 7. Christ comes in his Father's name, John 5, 43. The Antichrist comes in his own name, John 5, 43. Christ humbles himself, Philippians 2, 8. But the Antichrist exalts himself, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. Christ is hated and despised by man. Isaiah 53, Luke 24 and other passages. But the Antichrist will be embraced by wicked men. Revelation 13, 3 and 4. Christ will ultimately be exalted. Philippians 2, 9. But the Antichrist will ultimately be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 19, verse 20. Christ did the will of his father, but the Antichrist will do his own will. Christ came to seek and to save, but the Antichrist comes to hunt and to kill. Christ is the good shepherd, John 10, but the Antichrist is the idle shepherd in Zechariah chapter 11. Christ is the true vine, but the Antichrist is the vine of the earth. Now you say, Reggie, what's all this about? Do you realize how this thing's running? And if you don't know your Bible, how easily you can be fooled by what the Antichrist is portraying himself out. Let me just tell you right now, people already twist the scriptures so bad it's pathetic. They'll twist the scriptures so bad, they'll make you think through the scriptures. If you don't know them and know how to write and divide the word of truth, they'll make you think the Antichrist is the actual Christ. Christ is the truth, John 14. But the Antichrist is the lie, 2 Thessalonians 2. Christ is the Holy One in Mark chapter 1. But the Antichrist is the wicked one, 2 Thessalonians 2. Christ is a man of sorrows, Isaiah 53. But the Antichrist is the man of sin. Christ is the Son of God, Luke 135. But the Antichrist is the Son of Perdition. Christ is the mystery of godliness, which is, he is God in the flesh. That's 1 Timothy 3.16. By the way, a verse which all cults hate. The Antichrist is called the mystery of iniquity, which will be Satan in the flesh. Now here it is. Christ, God in the flesh. The Antichrist will be Satan in the flesh. Christ will come on a white horse, Revelation 19, but the Antichrist will come on a white horse in Revelation chapter 6. He's an imitator and a mocker of Christ. You say, Reggie, what's the time period about his rule? Now, I want to say something to you. And I know there's a lot of disagreements on this, but I can't help if folks are wrong. Yes, I have a little fun here, amen, a little bit of honey. Can't all be whipping lines, amen. The bride of Christ, the church, composed of saved Jews and Gentiles, will not be here during the tribulation period. God hath not appointed us to wrath. And, uh, and I will sh- I'll, there's so many, I just can't get it. If you go back to the Old Testament typology, Enoch, who is a picture of the church, was translated and taken out before the flood. That's an Old Testament type. I mean, and the types have to fit. You can't, you can't make them squeeze and twist them around. And for every New Testament doctrine, there is an Old Testament example and typology of it. Okay? Um, anyway, the church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 you know, if we, we saw in those others which have no hope for, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also shall Christ bring with him those with him. You know, the trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we shall all be changed, caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. That's in First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians talks about the coming of Christ for his church. Second Thessalonians chapter two and all that talks about the return of Christ back to the earth at the end of the tribulation period. But here's the big one. When you get the book of Revelation, Revelation runs in sequential. Now, it moves up and down heaven, below the pit, heaven, earth. I mean, it's moving. The scenes are moving. It's like a fast-moving movie or story. But when you come into Revelation chapter 1, it gives you the outline of the book in verse number 19. Things that was, are, and will be. I I can't quote exactly, but it gives you the outline of chapter 1, verse number 19. Chapters 2 and 3 is about the seven churches, which is a period of the church as a picture of the church age from the, from the time of Christ to the time he comes after the church. When you get into chapter 4, I want you to take your Bibles to chapter 4, okay? 
Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. You just get through with these seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Now I want you to look what happens. Chapter 4, verse number 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door. The Bible says He's coming for those that look for Him. He is, Jesus is called the door. I am the door by me if any man enter in. John, through the power of the Holy Spirit here, is using very pictorial words and doctrinal words that are given in the former epistles. The first voice which I heard, you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, trump of God, so forth, were of a trumpet talking with me, which said what, folks? Come up hither. And we're talking here about the first resurrection. The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them. We're going to be translated in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We'll put on our glorified body. Amen. And we're going to go be, and the Bible said, we shall, for, we shall ever be with the Lord. So that's it. The bride is going with Christ, okay? And we're with him in heaven. Down here on earth, by the way, and so that's right after the church age in chapter two and three. Chapter four and five is an interval there that shows you what's going on in the unseen world before the trip, between the church being taken out and the tribulation starting. And I don't have all time to go in, but it said, uh, verse number two, and immediately I was in the spirit. It, what? Immediately, fast, in the twinkling of an eye. First Corinthians 15. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set on the throne. And he was to look upon like jasper, a sardine stone. There was a rainbow round about the throne, and sat like an emerald. And it goes through there, and it talks about all these things in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. And when you get to chapter 6 is when the tribulation period starts. I want you to notice that. Look at chapter, look at chapter 6. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder and four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, behold, a what? A white horse. Now, folks, right here is where this thing is. This thing going to get icy. B.R. Lakin pre- oh, used to preach an old time message called the two white horses. Has anybody in here ever heard it? If you've never heard it, try to find it. It's called the two white horses. It's by the old preacher, B.R. Lakin. I saw him preach it in, per- in person and the place went ballistic. I mean, people went to shouting and jumping and running and hooping and hollering. And he preaches the two white horses. And the first he preaches about is chapter 6, when the Antichrist comes on his white horse. And he's going to fool people. Then he moves to chapter 19, when Christ comes on his white horse. And he preaches on the two white horses of the book of Revelation. Now, when this comes in, let's look at this. And this is, really tells you a lot about the Antichrist as you go down through you. Verse number two, and I saw him behold a white horse, and he sat on him that had a, 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 him that sat on him, he that had sat on him had a bow. Now, a bow is for what? For warfare, for fighting. But notice he has no arrow. He has the power, okay, having a bow, illustrate, you know, I have, I'm armed, I have power, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And this is what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to come. He's going to show that he has the power. And he's going to be crowned. And he's going to conquer. And he's going to take control of this earth. And when he'd opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that said to their own to take peace from the earth. And that they should kill one another. And it was given to him a great sword. And I'm telling you something, folks, this tribulation period is going to be a bad, bad time. And, and, it, and let me just say this to you. The, you're going along here and, and, the, and the church is taken out. And we're going to be with the Lord if you're saved. This tribulation period starts. The biggest thing I know of for you to get in prophetic teaching is the difference between Israel and the church. Because when the church goes out, spiritual privilege is returned back to Israel, the Jewish people, like it was back in the Old Testament. God is not done with the Jewish people. That's why when you get into chapter 7, it's going to go through 144,000 of the 12 tribes of Judah and list them tribe by tribe. And it does that twice. So what's going to happen is this. Now you listen to me. When the Jewish people went into captivity, you know what God did with them? He broke them from their idolatry. They were, had become idolaters, and by the, time they got, by the time he got done with them, the Hebrew children wouldn't bow to an idol. Are you listening to me? Those Jews in captivity, is one thing God did with them. He purged them from that worshiping idols and images. So much so 
that the he- three he- those children would not bow to an idol. They'd go to a fire rather than do it. Daniel chapter 3 with the image, the 666 image, is a picture of the tribulation. The furnace is a picture of the Jewish people going through the tribulation. And Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of the Antichrist persecuting the Jewish people. And that's why there's this going on. And it, it, it's, to me, it's one of the wildest things you'll ever see. But anyway, come on down through there. And verse number five, and when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third beast came and said, behold, a black horse. And he had a pair of balances in his hand. But what you're seeing is, is a false peace. You're seeing war. You're seeing famine. And, uh, and then he gets in verse six, and says, I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast saying, come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse and his na- name that set on him was called death and hell followed with him and power was given over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword with hunger, death with the beast of the earth. Now, and we don't have time to go into all that tonight, but let me just say this to you, that during this tribulation period, when this thing starts, the deal is going to become between the Antichrist and the Jewish people. The Gentile people, by and large, are going to bow down and accept the Antichrist. The Jewish people, by and large, are not going to. All right, now, what's the length of his rule? The Bible talks about, the, the, Daniel even talks about this uh, seven times. Whenever Nebuchadnezzar was put out to grass, anybody know what it was? Times. It doesn't say years, it says times. But in Ezekiel chapter 4 and chapter 6, it tells you what a times is. A year is for a time. It literally says that. You can check me out. Ezekiel chapter 4, verse number 6. So we know that Nebuchadnezzar went out there and he ate grass for, he's a picture of the Antichrist who is a beast. All right. And seven times, which the time is a year. Ezekiel 4 tells you what that times is. It's a year for a, a day there. Now, so you have this, this, this tribulation period is going to be split into two, three and a half year periods. The first period is going to be all this, this turmoil and trouble and bloodshed and finally a settling down of taking power. In the course of that, he's going to make an agreement, a covenant with Israel, the nation Israel. And I believe, I don't know when the temple is going to be rebuilt, but I believe the temple will be rebuilt because the Antichrist is going to go into it and sit down in it. So how's he going to sit down in it if it's not being rebuilt? Now, I don't tell you exactly when it'll be rebuilt, but you have that first three and a half years. Now, Jesus's ministry was how long? Three and a half years. The book of Job is a picture of the Jewish people going through the tribulation. How many chapters does Job have? 42 chapters, three and a half. When you're in the book of Revelation, uh, we may get this a little bit later. Let me just kind of keep trucking on here. But you'll find that out in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and so forth. The extent of his rule will be the entire world. He'll be a global ruler. By the way, you know, people used to get, uh, there's a scene in the book of Revelation where the two witnesses die and are resurrected. And the Bible says the whole world's going to see it. And people used to wonder, how are they going to see it? Pull that thing out of your pocket. It will be live streamed and the whole world will see that thing. I mean, all this stuff's coming to pass, just like the Bible said. So the extent of his rule will be the entire world. The time of his rule will be the seven years total, but it'd be particularly the last three and a half years. The extent of his rule, the entire world, that's in Revelation chapter 13. Not gonna, I'm going to try to keep moving. The source of his power is Satan. Satan is going to give him his power. Lying, signs, and wonders. Now this is why I'm very leery about signs and wonders. The just shall live by faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But this guy, now I'm going to tell you a little bit of something about when Jesus Christ came. When Jesus Christ came the first time, John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God in the Jewish mind was the millennial reign where the Messiah comes and the prophets even told him what he would be doing. He'd be healing the blind, making the deaf hear, making the dumb speak, making the the people walk. They couldn't walk in all those miracle signs. Okay, the Jews look for a sign. That's what your Bible says. We live by faith. When, they, when he came, Jesus told the disciples of John the Baptist, tell them the blind see, the deaf hear. I'm going to tell you something. The church age is not characterized by signs and wonders. We live by faith. If God never shows you a miracle, he wants you to believe him. All right? But signs and wonders will fool people. I just watched a man here recently bring a man into a meeting in a wheelchair 
had a nurse all dressed up as a nurse, believe it or not. I was like, this is so dumb. Who would buy this? But the place was packed, huge auditorium. Brings a guy in and says that he can't walk. And this guy gets, now what, this is the truth. And this made me want to vomit. He, he, he comes down there and he kind of whops him on the legs a little bit. And he looks up and says, now, Jesus, don't you fail me right when I need you. And he backs up and does his hands like some kind of a super duper whopper duper and, and whop whop. And all of a sudden that guy starts moving a little bit. And then he comes down and grabs him by the knees and that guy moves a little bit more. And then finally the guy gets up and he's doing like this right here. And everybody's hooping and hollering and shouting and everybody's going bananas. And they're taking his crutches and they're breaking his crutches and busting them. And this nurse comes out there to confirm that he was, he couldn't walk, but he can now. Dressed like a nurse. Did you just happen to be there dressed like a nurse? This stuff is so stupid to me. I mean, I don't know, folks, what in the world. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you something. The Antichrist, Satan knows all this stuff, that the kingdom signs are the signs of you know, open up, miracles of healing. Okay? We're not in that time. That's the gospel of the kingdom. We preach the gospel of grace. Okay? And so, but when the Antichrist comes... Buddy, let me tell you something. You want to see a show, you're going to see it. That's right. He will be, watch this. He's going to be able to pull fire down from heaven. Yeah, that's right. Now you're out there and you say, I, I don't want to go to that meeting. And I say, you should have been there, man. He pulled fire down out of heaven. And everybody in the world will be able to watch it. Yeah. And he's going to do such miracles. They're going to go, this guy's got to be God. Ain't nobody but God can do this stuff. And people will fall down and worship him. And then they'll be required, and they'll, they'll say, you've got to take the mark. Yeah. You take the mark. And when you take the mark, you're sealed. Now, I'm talking about people, you say here, say, well, I ain't saved. I'll tell you, it's foolishness not to be saved. That's the dumbest thing you'll ever do is not be saved. And you'll say, well, I'll get saved after the rapture of the church. I doubt it. If you won't get saved now, I don't doubt if you'll resist him then. But the source of his power is Satan. His rise to power involves a peace agreement with Israel, great miracles and signs and wonders. And he rules with these miracles and deceptions. And he rules also with terror and persecution. And I've got all these scriptures, Revelation 13, Revelation 6, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now I'm going to tell you something about the Antichrist. He will blaspheme and be a hater of God. Revelation 13 and verse number 50 tells you that, that, he, that he, will, he blasphemes the name of God. He hates God. He will hate the God of the Bible. He's a murderer and destroyer. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, Revelation chapter 13. He's a liar and deceiver. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm just giving these scriptures because if you want to read these, you can read them yourself. But this is what your Bible teaches about the Antichrist. But he does have great intelligence. He's smart. Daniel 8, 25, 8, 23. He's exceedingly proud, Daniel 8, 25 teaches. And he'll have an impre- impressive appearance, the Bible said. The Bible said about Jesus that, that uh, he wasn't, uh, uh, somebody help me, Isaiah 53. There's no beauty that we should desire him. I've always said Jesus is not a good looking man. Don't think he was. There was nothing in his fleshly appearance that would draw you like some rock star. There's no fleshliness about him that would draw you to him. But the Antichrist, I believe, will be a very attractive a person that the flesh will want to follow. And he'll exalt himself in Daniel chapter 11. Now, what's the end of the Antichrist? Well, total defeat. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 8 tells us how it's going to wind up. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. God says he will destroy him with the brightness of his coming. You can actually read about that in Revelation chapter uh, 19 and verse number 19. Let's turn over there. Revelation 19. One of my problems is I get in this big hurry because I think I got to cover all this within the time limit I got. I guess I should stop and segment everything. I don't know. Revelation chapter 19, verse number 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Verse number 20. And the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which to deceive them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So you say, what's the end of the Antichrist? And let me tell you something. I do not like... 
I like fiery preaching. I like exciting church services, enthusiasm. I'm a strong believer in enthusiasm, but I do not like sensationalism. And I don't like sensationalism in preaching. Where I mean is that we try to get people worked up with almost a mysticism rather than the Spirit of God working. And I want to tell you a little something about preaching on the end times, preaching on the Antichrist stuff. A lot of times preachers use sensationalism to get crowds and to get following, okay? Let me tell you about the Antichrist. Don't focus on him much. Focus on Jesus Christ. The Antichrist is going to get whipped bad and going to get thrown into the lake of fire before it's over with. So don't get all fixated on him. I see people, they just, it's like they forget about Jesus Christ and all they want to talk about is the end time prophecy, the end time prophecy. Well, you know something? I'm not even planning on being here. I'm out of here. But it's in the Bible. We need to preach on it and, uh, and talk about it. Now, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 24 and we will try to finish up here in just a little bit. And um, Matthew chapter 24, kind of give you a breakdown on this. might help a little bit. Uh, when you get to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus had uh, stood outside Jerusalem in chapter 23 and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, verse number 37, Thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent to thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as they gathered the chickens under their wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And Jesus went out of the house of Israel and left them empty of any spiritual presence of God. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. He said, you're going to see me again, but it's when I'm coming back the second time. That's Revelation chapter 19, if you want to write down a reference on that. Verse number one, Jesus went out, verse chapter 24, and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him to show in the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, see you not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. That happened in A.D. 70. Verse number three, and as he said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came in him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. That's the first thing he said. And that's why, why did he say that? Because the Antichrist will be a deceiver. And many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. You shall hear of wars, rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nations shall rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilence, earthquakes, and diverse places. Now, he said, all these are the beginnings of sorrow. And I believe between verses 8 and 9, at, at verse 9 is when you see the rapture of the church. Because there's something happens. Now, I'm not saying exactly right, in, but in there somewhere you have this movement. By the way, you know, we had world wars. I mean, you talk about, but there'll be things, things are, uh, I, I, I just, God could turn off the water. I don't know why God is so good, but I'll tell you, if he ever turns water off, you're going to see famine, you're going to see pestilence. Uh, but here's verse number nine, and you kind of divide chapter 24 up in this way. There's a break in ch- verses eight and nine. Then shall they deliver you up, watch this now, to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now watch this. You say, Reggie, why do you believe there's a break there? Because up to verse number nine, he's given a general description of world conditions. When you get to verse number nine, what happens? He gets specifically to the nation of Israel. That's not about you and not about me. Look what it says there. It says, they shall deliver you up. Who's he talking to? His disciples, those Jewish disciples. He said, you shall be afflicted and they shall kill and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. That's, that's true today. Uh, the world by and large hates Israel. We're about the only nation that has stood for Israel in the United Nations and the world scene right there. But when he's talking in verse 9, he's talking about the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And that's why you know that this thing is flipped from a generality of humankind to the nation of Israel. And then shall many be offended. They shall betray one another, shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I personally believe, and in fact, I know you're in the tribulation period at this point from verse nine, at least verse 9 down down through here. You're in the early parts of the tribulation. Verse number 13, but he that endured to the end shall be saved. If you follow that thing on out in verse number 22, it talks about flesh being saved. And then verse number 14, and this gospel of what? The kingdom shall be preached. Who's going to do this? The 144,000 Jewish people in Revelation chapter 7 and the two places in Revelation. That's who's going to be doing this. In all the world for a witness unto the nations and then shall the end come. 
after all this occurs. Watch verse 15. Now here's where he's talking about the end's coming. Look at verse 15. Now here's another break in chapter 24. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Where's that? That's the temple in the holy of holies, the most holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. What is he saying? Go back to Daniel chapter 9, verse number 27. Daniel chapter 12, verse number 11. What's going to happen? What is the abomination of desolation? The abomination of desolation. What did Jesus say in Matthew 23? He said, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Empty. This, is, this, this should be preached on mercy. There's so many applications. But the basic application here is that the Jewish people... They wanted a religion without Christ, so their house was left desolate. Jesus went back. They're empty of the presence of God. They rebuild the temple. Who belongs in the most holy place on the throne? Jesus Christ. The seed of David. What's the abomination of desolation? The Antichrist, Satan in the flesh, will go in and sit where God should be sitting And the Lord Jesus said, when you Jewish people see that, you know it's on. The end is ready to come. And Satan will do what what he wanted to do at the start back in Isaiah. I will be like the most high. I will sit in the throne of God. And when he sits in there, and 2 Thessalonians says, as God. This is when the world's going to say, this guy is Jesus Christ. This is the Messiah. He's sitting on the throne of God. He's doing all these miracles and wonders and power. And he's bringing by force and by intellect peace to the earth. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. A forced peace. And Jesus said, when you see that, told the Jewish people, when you see that, you know this is it. And then you watch what he tells them to do. Because he wants, listen, Satan hates the Jewish people. Read your Bible. There were constantly people raised up by Satan to kill the entire, Haman wanted to kill all the Jews. Pharaoh wanted to kill all the Jewish baby boys. Hitler, all the way, Stalin. I mean, it's just, anyway, here we go. Verse number 16. Then let them which be in where? Judea. Not in the United States. I'm just being honest with you. We've got a lot of stuff going on that's kind of crazy. You know, they flee to the mountains. Well, I believe that's Petra, and I've been there. And I believe that's where they're going to flee to. The south of Judea there. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back take his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. And pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. This is talking to Jewish people. He wouldn't be telling the church age people and the Gentiles not on the Sabbath day. That doesn't affect us. And look at verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation. So what's happened is from verses 8 and 9 to verse through verse 14 is your first three and a half years. When you get into chapter, verse 15 of chapter 24, you're in your last three and a half years period. Okay? This is the great tribulation. The seven years, the seven times is, a, is the seven year period. First three and a half years, this is when he does his accumulation of power and authority and works himself up to take rule. He makes a covenant with Israel and in that covenant, but he's, they're going to accept him. But he's going to break that covenant. And when he does, he's going to walk in there and set himself down as God Almighty. And that's when they're going to know this guy is a fraud. And Jesus said, when that happens, you get ready and you better flee. And they're going to. Verse number 21, for then shall be great tribulation, which is what not since the beginning of the world to this day, nor shall ever be. Now I'm talking about folks, things going to get bad. Except those days should be shortened. I don't know how God's going to shorten it, but I do know this. The sun, the moon, the stars are not going to shine at a particular time. God shut the time. God, God can control the sun. There should be no flesh saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall rise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. Look at that. Great signs and wonders. 
insomuch that it were possible they should deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Don't believe this stuff. Now, what does he say? Now, watch. Now, watch. when you get down to verse 26, you're approaching the very end of the great tribulation of the, set of the end of the seven year period and the end of that last three and a half years. Why do I know that? Look what your Bible says. What is Jesus telling them? Don't believe anything. Don't believe any of that stuff. Stay by my word. Believe my word. Don't go for your feelings. Don't go for your fears. Stay by my word. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so all shall be what? The coming of the Son of Man be. Write down Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. That's verse 27. The second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation at the time when they surround Jerusalem, at the time when they think they're going to finally, Satan's going to finally wipe out all the Jewish people. And at that moment, the sky is going to split. I'm going to tell you something, the most glorious thing you can imagine right now outside of the church being taken out is the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in power and in glory. And I want to tell you something, I'm, I'm saying like, get them, God, get them. I'm tired of this thing. Because this thing's going to get a lot worse than it is now. It's going to get, so watch this right here. For wheresoever the carcass is, there shall the eagles be gathered together. That's Revelation 19, verse 17, 18, the reference. Watch this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Now here's what's going on. God said, when that Antichrist goes into that temple sets himself up as God, get out of Dodge, because at that point he's going to try to kill every Jew on the face of this earth. And it's going to look like it's all over for the Jewish people, for Israel. You see, God promised them an eternal covenant. I want to tell you right now, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel has walked on the grave of every nation in history. Every person, every, every tyrant that tried to kill them, they walked across his grave. And the Jews just keep going. Why? Because God promised they're an eternal nation. They're an eternal people. And he's got an eternal plan for them. Well, I'll tell you what God's going to do. God's going to shut the lights off. People are going to want darkness. They're going to want to worship the devil and they want darkness. He's, I'll just shut the sun off. I'll shut, and when he shuts the sun off, the moon's going off. He's going to shake the powers of heaven. And you know what these people are going to be in? Rank, unbelievable darkness. So much so that the book of Revelation says they'll gnaw their tongues for the darkness. And the Bible says at that moment, he'll, he comes from the east as lightning. And 2 Thessalonians 2 says he will destroy them with the brightness of his coming. What a sight. Now I've got good news for you. Did you realize you're coming back with him? We're coming back with him. Revelation chapter 19. The armies that followed him in heaven, clothed in linen, fine linen, white and clean. It's the righteousness of the saints. We're coming back with him. And we're going to watch him destroy the armies of Satan and the Antichrist. Put the Antichrist, the devil, and the false prophet in the lake of fire. He'll establish his thousand year reign and he'll rule with a rod of iron. I'm telling you, there's exciting days ahead of us. Amen? Amen. So in one sense... I'm kind of enjoying watch the, watch the thing unfold. Your Lord told you that it would be like the days of Lot. That it would be like the days of Noah when he came back. But I want to look beyond. You know, if I'm not careful, all I see is the news and how terrible it is. Well, I'm telling you, I'm reading you the news in advance tonight. And there's a lot of stuff going to happen. Exciting days are ahead. Don't drive your tent stakes too deep here. All right. Now, it says there, verse number 30, Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall, and by, I, by the way, I believe that sign is the light, the, the light to all the tribes of the earth. Morning, what is going to happen? They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one in heaven to the other. 
and you have the end of the tribulation period of that. So what's going on next? The Antichrist now is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. When you get into verse number 32 of that chapter, it's like God backs up and says, all right, wait a minute. I've told you and I've, I've said this thing coming back in Israel. He gets to talking about the parable of the fig tree. A fig tree in the Bible, Israel's represented by three trees, vine, the fig, and the olive tree. Different periods in history. And this fig tree, he said, behold the parable. What is that parable about? Look at it. He said, now learn the parable of the fig tree. When there's branches yet turn and put forth leaves, you know the summer's nigh. Israel is regathered, but they're not bearing fruit yet. But they got leaves. And I could preach, I've got a whole message on the nation of Israel. It's it's history and and it's in. But anyway, And from this point on, everything that's going on is about getting ready to set up the kingdom. Now, I'm going to throw something at you. In Matthew 24, when you get into verse number 40, it says, Two shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left, two women grind the mill. A lot of people like to make that a rapture passage of Scripture. That is not a rapture passage of Scripture. And I want to tell you how you can know. Above it, it says, as it was in the days of Noah, and they didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. Who was taken away in Noah's day? The righteous or the wicked? wicked? The wicked. At this point in time, those people being taken out are the wicked. It's not a rapture passage at all. And, it, and here's the big thing about that. Here's why a lot of people believe the rapture doesn't occur until the end of the tribulation. It's because they take that passage of scripture, turn it into a, a rapture passage, and they look in the sequence and they say, well, that's at the end of the tribulation. This kingdom is coming. Jesus is going to set up a throne. He's going to judge their divided Jehoshaphat. He's going to judge people how they treated the nation of Israel. And, uh, and at that judgment, and it's going to separate the wheat from the tares and the goats from the sheep and so forth. And then those people that are enemies of God will be taken out of the kingdom. There's a lot of wild stuff going on. But that passage is not. Verse number 41, two women grinding at the mill, the one should be taken the other left. Look up there in verse number uh, 38. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving and marriage until the Noah came and knew not until the flood do what came and took them all away. And then he uses that as a basis of what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period before he sets up his kingdom. So anyway, now let me tell you something. The older I get, the less I know. All right. Let me throw you something about this here. Uh, deal of uh, there's an interesting thing Daniel had a dream and he dreamed about Nebuchadnezzar and so forth they had this dream and Nebuchadnezzar and and Daniel said you're cocky you're proud God's going to take you down and he said seven times doesn't say seven years and and I think it's three or four times it's times time period there be real careful. I'm going to say this in close. I want you to be real careful about believing. See, the Jehovah Witness had it all figured out from numbers in the book of Daniel and from the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ was going to return in 1914 and he didn't do that. And then they said other days and they would manipulate the numbers and they got a lot of people to follow on how they got their deal going was making these prophetic. Well, Jesus said no man knows the day of the hour, right? So that should have been, a, that's what you get for not believing your Bible to start with. But how they did that was by manipulating calendars. Now, I'm telling you, you want to get into deep, deep study, get into time study in the Bible. We live under what's called a Gregorian calendar. Pope Gregory had this done. And it's a very accurate calendar as far as the, the year. But the Jewish people never went under a Gregorian calendar. To them, that is Goyim, Gentile calendars, and they do not use it. The problem is this, that when you're studying time sequences, if you use the wrong calendar, you come up with the wrong answer. It's like believing that three and two equals six, and you use that to do a formula with, it ain't never going to come out right. right. So be really, really careful about people who are telling you time sequences and using numbers. Let me give you an example. 1260 days. Okay, all right, if you're going to use that as some kind of basis, which that's what they did to to develop the cult of Jehovah Witness stuff. 
you've got to you've got to use a formula for the calendars. And what they did, they, they didn't use the right calendar deal. And of course, that's why their prophecies didn't come true. And they've had to redo it over and over again. That is, so what I'm telling you is don't be really careful about getting into that. By and large, a Jewish calendar is considered to be 360 days. And that kind of fits because 1260 is mentioned two times in the book of Revelation. Okay. But if you go a little deeper and find out, there it wasn't exactly 360 days. And what amazes me is how these people who dealt with time and the movements of the sun and stars and so forth, how they could get down to the seconds in a year and do that for multiplied years ahead of time and be accurate. So it all depends on whose, whose month's calculation you're using. This is why it's very, very difficult to go back in the book of Daniel or Ezekiel and you read those numbers and those time deals and you start figuring this stuff. I'm, I'm a Gentile. <laughs> I don't think like a Jew. And I don't think I've got too much business worrying about that. So be careful when you're reading. Because a lot of stuff on Facebook, Internet, all kinds of junk. Be really careful about that, okay? And I don't, I'm not a prophecy preacher. You know that. But I think I kind of got the frame built. I may not have the wallpaper on just right, but I think I got the frame right. And it would be okay. Hey, he's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of us. It'd be all right. God does not give us the spirit of fear. So watch this in here. If a preacher gets up and to the child of God, he tries to instill fear, it's a problem. Now, if you're lost, you ought to be scared. But if a prophecy preacher is kind of spooky, spooky, and he's trying to get you spooky, spooky. Watch that. Because God doesn't give us that kind of spe- a spirit. He gives us a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. He doesn't want us to be in all... You think God wants you tormented with fear constantly? And that's another thing. You know, don't... don't I, I believe with all my heart, I am not going through the tribulation period, period. Now, I, always, I know that some men put their wives through the tribulation, but Jesus doesn't put his... Jesus is not going to put his bride through the tribulation. Amen. Did you know the fact of it is that when he, Jesus takes the bride out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and Revelation 4 and 5, that we're going through the judgment seat? And, that's, and if you go back to the Old Testament, stay that out. That's a very, very serious thing. And then we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, well, I don't see the other couple here, but uh, Susan, I know you guys having something to eat for people after your wedding. You are, aren't you? You're having a feast, aren't you? See, you still do it. The marriage supper of the Lamb is a wedding feast. And then watch this. We're coming back with Christ on white horses for a thousand-year honeymoon. It's truth. And, but just before the honeymoon, he's going to say, honey, wait just a second. Them people that used to give you a hard time, I'm going to deal with them right now. The devil. And he's going to wipe that crowd out. I'm going to tell you what. I mean, it's going to be wonderful. Amen. Amen. And so just, just rejoice in what's coming. It's good. Let's, let's go home. Amen.